Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Simple ways to witness to the lost. And all of these Bible verses are verses that you already know and you've been through a lot of times. But as we go through them, it might be a good time tonight to either write down them in a little note and put them in your Bible or highlight or just mark these Bible verses uh, because I want to try to make it simple for uh, all of us to be able to witness to a lost person. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. That's a whole conversation opener right there. So when you're witnessing to somebody, if you've got your Bible, you got a New Testament in your hand, uh, you can simply have them just turn right to Romans chapter 3, or you can turn there and ask them to just go ahead and read that verse, or, you're, or you read it. For all have sinned. You can ask them. Who is the all talking about in that passage? And then just be quiet. Because it'll open up the conversation. And one-on-one witnessing obviously is the best. We want to try to do all of it. Um, But if you get to talk to somebody one-on-one, it's even better if both of you do the talking. (laughs) It's great if you can just give them the scriptures but it's even greater if they can get involved in the conversation and they'll feel like you're not just talking at them but you're talking with them you just take them right to romans 3 23 you all know the verse and what is it and just ask them who is the all talking about there look at look at romans 5 12 look what it says Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And you can simply ask them, who was that one man? (laughs) And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And again, the same question. Who would all be in that passage? So you can show them the verse. You can read it or ask them to read it. And then ask them questions based on that verse and allow them to get involved in the conversation. And a lot of times that will open up some of their objections. And then you can just speak to that as the Lord speaks to your own heart. Look at Romans 6.23. Again, we all know this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, you can pull out a bunch of questions from here, but what's one simple one? Where is eternal? How do you gain eternal life? What is it through? 
you know as well as I do when you talk to somebody, they'll say, well, I was baptized. Well, I was brought up in church. Well, I can point them right to this verse. Eternal life is through what? <laughs> Jesus Christ. None of, no, no other way even. Uh, and it, it's, it's deceptive because it, it, on one hand, we look at it as Christians. Yeah, we want to be in a good Bible-believing church. Yeah, we want to be in a, in a church that's doctrinally correct. Doctrine matters. We, we understand that as Christians. But a lost person, they don't know what doctrine is. <laughs> they don't know what a good Bible-believing church is. That's so far ahead. They got to get discipled through that. But in order to gain eternal life, you got to cut through all the mess and help them see that it's only through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 5. Go back there. Verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you can simply ask them, do you think that's some pretty great love that Jesus had on that cross? And just draw out that as a sinner, Christ loved you. He didn't, as bad as you think you are, or as good as you might think you are, but you're really not. Christ went and died because he loved you so much that he wanted to have your sins paid for. And again, read the verse or have them read it, but this is a great passage of scripture to really draw out the love of Jesus Christ. How he would, he would love his enemy enough, us as sinners, he would love us enough to die for us. You know all these verses. Sometimes we take it for granted in the sense of this lost and dying world. They don't, they didn't grow up with, with all this. Look at Romans 10. Verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, draw out the whosoever. We see it in verse 11, whosoever believeth. Verse number 13, whosoever shall call. Draw out the fact that God is a whosoever God. And he's willing to save anyone that would believe on him. We have to be careful, though, that as we do our, our personal one-on-one -on -one witnessing, one end, we want to see the person get saved, right? But on the other end, it can get discouraging that no one's getting saved. So we don't drive the car off the road and try to get them to repeat a prayer and, you know, you know, pull my finger and you got saved type thing. A jack-in-the-box salvation. 
where you just kind of trick them into thinking they got something that they didn't. But then on the other end, you don't want to make it so complicated and difficult <laughs> that maybe they were ready to get saved and we just made it so hard that they walked away confused. I mean, there are two ditches on both sides that we can easily fall off of. They should understand from here confession, believing in their heart that what? God raised them from the dead. It's believing on the righteousness, your mouth made on the salvation. So it's not repeat after me. It's <laughs> I can pray for you and I will pray with you, but I can't pray you into heaven. And, you know, someone says to you, well, I, I just wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to pray. If someone is truly under conviction, they will say something. <laughs> you can nudge them. You can guide them. You can guide them. Not to repeat a sinner's prayer, but you can give them some direction. Lord. And you just call out to them. Just like the thief on the cross. Lord. And you can let that lost person know, look, if you're ready to get saved, you can get saved right now. Call upon the Lord. You can you can bow your knee right now. If that person is truly under conviction of the Holy Spirit. It won't be some eloquent prayer that someone that's been in church their whole life, that's been called upon to pray and has taught the Bible and has led their family in devotion. It won't be anything like that. But from a convicted heart, they should be able to say their own words and call out to a Lord and a God that would save them. Let me ask you a question. If you get into a situation where it's just, it's just bad. I think of, I've watched some documentaries about military men before and different war documentaries and I've watched some things on YouTube where they're you know kind of a, a documentary on people that are in these situations that are just horrible situations and when they're in the midst of this situation it's so bad and terrible Nobody has to tell them who to call. Nobody has to tell them what to say. They're just calling out, I need help. You know, in the spur of the moment, they'll just recant their story. You say, you know, I was in the middle of this, and then this happened, and then this blew up, and I'm calling for this, and I'm, and I'm doing this, and I'm just instinctually going. When that sinner sees himself, in the state of danger, in the state of emergency that he is in before a holy, righteous God, he will call out to that God. When I knew that I was lost, and I came under conviction of sin, and I, and I had the realization that, oh, no. You mean I've been trusting in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and genuflecting and getting sacraments done and going and confessing my sins to a priest and all oh no 
that's where we want to get sinners to the place of conviction, not convincing them of something that never, ever happened. And that is one of the major problems that we have in Christianity is that people are trusting in something that a well-intentioned preacher or Sunday school teacher or parent or whatever, well-intentioned, not bad people, but just got them to repeat a prayer that they never wanted to repeat because they just wanted to please mom or please dad. Acts 16. And as parents, you know, the toughest thing, look at Acts 16, another familiar passage, Acts 16, 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Which means a couple of things. They didn't repeat a prayer. They are asking, what must I do? They were under conviction. The Holy Spirit had worked in their life. They had heard some things and saw some things that they never heard and saw before. What must I do to be saved? And as you're going through these verses, if, if you mark them down, Romans 3.23, uh, Romans 5.12, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10, and Acts 16, you just highlight them in your Bible so that when you come across somebody, you open up your Bible, you just go through these, you ask those questions. And you want to get them to the point where they're asking you. All right, I hear you. How do I get saved? <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved and thy house. Meaning, if you get saved, it's likely that those in your household will follow suit. Why? Well, because it's inferred that you would then preach the gospel to them, to your household. All right, so that is six passages of scripture that I'd like you to write down or either highlight in your Bible or just check off in your Bible. So that when you're speaking to somebody on the street or at a public evangelistic outreach of, of the church, you will you will know where to go. All right, let's go over to first John. This will be another lesson. This will be the first John road. You can you can really draw out some great truth in first John. Look at chapter one, verse number eight. You can take somebody here. That continually justifies themselves. And even when we did the Romans verses, it's they're great witnessing verses written to Christians. <laughs> but they I mean they're great witnessing verses. But the same idea here in First John, someone that is constantly justifying themselves through their good works. Watch verse number eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
Now this happened. Uh, uh, it was uh, Friday night at the at the fair. I was talking to a man. And he knew he was a sinner. We got to the point where we had that settled. Everybody sins. And when I got to the question, when I asked him about if you were to die right now, and God were to judge you on the basis of your sin, do you think God would be righteous and just in sending you to heaven or hell? And he immediately, without thinking, said heaven. And I'm thinking, it's just like ping-ponging in his brain. And I said, how so? He said, well, because I've done some good, too. In other words, the philosophy or the doctrine is, look, yeah, I'm a sinner. Like we all are, right? But I still have enough good in my life to outweigh the bad. And that argument is presented in many, many different ways. But that's really the crux of the argument. I'll concede to the fact that I'm a sinner. And I'll concede to the fact that God hates sin. But I will not concede to the fact that God will dare judge me because I have done quite a few good works in my life. So I start dealing with that man. And this has happened to me on multiple occasions, and it's going to happen to you, too. You start overcoming some of these objections with Scripture and speaking with the man. And then his family comes up and his kids are hanging on him. And then it's just the whole conversation just fizzled out. But he went over the gospel track. He's got the church website, the scripture verses on the track. So it was good. I mean, it was fruitful in that sense. But you're going to come across people that are always going to justify themselves. And they, they need to know that they are just deceived. Go over to the third chapter. First John chapter three. How are we going to have our sins taken care of? First John chapter three, verse five. So the first one was first was chapter one, verse eight. Now we're in chapter three, verse five. And you know that he was manifested. It's Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. If you've been in your Bible any length of time. You're going to want more and you're going to want to dive deeper. That's why we come to church. And I, I really try to purpose in my heart to get all of us beyond salvation and, and tithing. <laughs> There's more. We're already saved. So we got that down. So we want to go. We want to go a mile deep into these scripture passages. We, we do that. But with a lost person, you can't go deep theology with. It. It's got to be simple. <laughs> and this is simple. All these verses are simple. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and ask him, why did Jesus come and die? And if he doesn't have the answer, you point him to the scripture and have him to take away our sin. Okay. Did Jesus ever sin? Well, I don't know. Okay, well, look at the verse. What does it say? And in him is a little bit of sin. No, no sin. So real simple. But they can really grasp that truth. And we say, we're sitting here. We say, well, I, of course, I know that. <laughs> I grew up with that. But they didn't. Go back to chapter two. 
we can get you want to get theological with them you can go to um verse number two in chapter two watch and he is that's jesus christ jesus christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins that's the atoning and favorable sacrifice to god to appease or that appeased the wrath of god that's propitiation at the very least they're going to go home learning a real big word <laughs> remember that in school you learned the big word and you went home and you never forgot it he is the propitiation for our sins meaning jesus was the favorable sacrifice it appeased god's wrath and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world and you can ask that man who did jesus come and die for and you better make sure that he, if he doesn't you give him the answer the whole world that doesn't mean we believe in universal salvation that everybody's just going to be saved because they're just going to be saved they have to be able to receive him. We talked about that this morning. All right. So, so far, our first John wrote chapter one, verse eight, chapter three, verse five, chapter two, verse two. And now last one, chapter five. First John. Chapter number five. And look at the first verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of god so these religions or these beliefs or someone brings to the table yeah i believe jesus was and then fill in the blank if it's anything but the son of god you got to direct them back to that and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begot of him so whosoever believeth that jesus is the christ so there's your first John Road, some good verses to take folks. Just real simple, basic truth. All right, we have all that. Now we're going to skip around a little bit. Let's go to the Old Testament and grab Psalms 51. Isaiah 64 and Psalms 51. Look at Psalm 51. We'll grab verse number five. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know when life starts? At conception. I was shapen in iniquity. We were born a sinner. <laughs> People want to try to justify themselves. This Psalms 51 verse is a great way to get them to see. No, no, you don't understand. It's not. Tell me if I'm wrong. Haven't you encountered people or haven't you thought this at one time in your life? You do something that's real bad. And you measure that different than. I would. Everybody measures that differently. Well, I'll tell you, 
I really did this one thing in my life that was real bad. Boy, whew, I became a sinner. I need Jesus. <laughs> no, you were conceived. You were born into this world a sinner. Now, how are you going to deal with that? That covers everybody. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, little children that don't have, they can't discern like we can discern. There comes a certain time in a child's life where they're able to discern right and wrong, sin, good, evil, all of that. And then at that point, God holds them accountable, but he doesn't charge their sin. He covers their sin because he's a gracious God. Yes, they're sinners, but a little child that dies or a little baby that dies or these murderers that pass laws that allow people, that allow mothers to kill their babies, they're in heaven. They're in heaven covered by God's grace. Nonetheless, a good birth to go to let people know that they're born in sin. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. As we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind taken us away. And that's really a great picture of where this world's at. It's taken away, like the wind takes a leaf by iniquity. And getting people taken to this verse. What do you say now about your righteous works? What does the Bible tell you they are? As filthy rags, yeah. And I ask them, is that good or bad? They should know. You can give them a word picture. You'll clean up the dirty floors. Hold that rag up to God. You did a good job cleaning the floor. Nice work. Now hold it up to God. It's a filthy rag. But I did a good work, didn't I? Not going to get us there. All right, Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And verse number 27, the Bible says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. But it is a point that the man wants to die. And after they die, guess what? They can't be saved. That's the urgency, young people. That is one of the reasons. Yes, God commanded it. But the urgency behind that reason is once they die, that's it. You can't go and try to tell them about Jesus. They die, judgment. If they're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, where do they go? Hell. And it's not H-E double hockey sticks to water it down. It's hell. It's a real place where real people go, where there's real fire, there's real torment. 
There's real weeping. There's real gnashing of teeth. It's a real rich man. And these people that want to say, well, it's just an illustration and a parable, you know, Luke 16 and all this. It's illustrating that you don't know what you're talking about. That's what's illustrating. <laughs> That's why we bring this message to the lost and dying world. Okay, Psalm 51, Hebrews 9, Isaiah 64. We got those marked down. And 1 Corinthians 15, we'll do two more in this section. Then we'll finish out in the book of John. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know I've said this many a times. This is a great passage to go to. Verse number 3, 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Those two verses are key in understanding what the gospel is and what our message is. We're not preaching social reform. We're not preaching a political candidate. We're not trying to give you tips to get your family Back on track. Um, you talk to a JW, you talk to a Mormon, they're going to want to talk family. They're not going to want to talk having your family be born to be born again and be a child of God into God's family. They're going to want to give you what you could coin probably good sound advice, but nonetheless will lead your family into the depths of hell. That's why we preach 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died, was buried, was rose again, according to the scriptures, died for your sins and mine. And then when somebody gets saved, then they get discipled, they get taught, they get into a good church. And now God starts helping them with their family. So we don't put the cart before the horse. You like that one? The horse analogy. Second Corinthians chapter number five. Second Corinthians chapter number five. We read this verse this morning, I think. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can't make yourself right, but we want to point you to a savior who knew no sin and can make you right. You want to receive him? Yes, person said. I'm pausing because that's what I want you to do. Just pause so that they then talk. Well, what do you think? Do you understand what I said? Yeah. Would you like to be saved? Yes. Okay, well, hurry up and repeat these words. Pull my finger, do five jump jacks, three sit-ups, and then you're saved. No. No. Let them deal with that. It's okay to have a pause. Let them deal with it. Let them deal with it. We want to be careful of a false conversion. All right, lastly, and young ones, pay attention. As we go through the book of John, these are very simple but important passages, so please... Take heed to the truth that's here. All of you can understand this. It's very, very simple. 
Let's start in chapter 20 of the book of John. We're going to see a common theme here. The last verse in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. You need to believe on him. You need to believe in him. All of it. But you're going to see a common theme through the book of John that's going to refute any and all arguments against a works-based salvation. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So we were John 20, 31. And now John 1, verse number 7. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. That's capital L. That's Jesus Christ. That all men through him might believe, not be baptized, not have a do-gooder list, not any of the things that religious men and women would put in there, but that would believe, 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 believe. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you see the theme through John so far? John chapter 20, John 1 verse 7, John 1 verse 12. Believe, 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 believe. Look at chapter number 3, verse number 15. John chapter 3. Verse number 15. Well, let's back up to 14. It kind of starts it off. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here it is. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So if you don't believe in him, what happens? You perish. Those that aren't believing in Jesus Christ, right now they are perishing, even though they're alive and walking around. But have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Test question. What's the key word that we've been drawing out in the book of John? That's right. Very good. Believe. Believe it. Now go all the way to verse 36. Last verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you believe, you have what? Eternal life. If you don't believe, you have what? The wrath of God abiding upon you, and you are perishing. John gives such a clear picture of A and B. Heads and tails, light and dark, believe, not believe. And it's a gr these are great verses to go through to really draw out the contrast so that sinner can clearly see what God says. You ever get in a conversation with somebody and it gets so convoluted and you're like, well, what were we talking about again? It's arguments with husbands and wives. You know, you get into something, you're supposed to talk about, hey, 
by the next thing you know, you're, you're down so many rabbit trails, you don't even know what you're fighting about. That's the lost person. You're trying to draw out to them their need for a savior and the fact that they're a sinner. And they got you so mixed up with talking about all these different things. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about the wrath of God abiding on you? <laughs> the next time a guy says, well, what do you think is going to happen to all the people starving in Africa when they die? I don't know. What do you think is going to happen to you? Because the wrath of God's abiding on you right now. Which, by the way, I think those folks have enough light from God through creation, through their conscience, that they can call out to God. It's another reason why we support and send missionaries to foreign fields. None of them want to eat grubs all day. <laughs> why are you going to Mongolia? I really like the fried crickets. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody says that. I really like getting maggots on my back. Yeah. Missionary friend, missionaries we support. Well, I've got maggots. Back itching. Probably there was a maggot coming out of her back. Yeah. Nobody signs up for that. Yeah, I'm going there because I really like to have maggots as an appetizer. No, it's disgusting. Nobody wants it. Nobody signs up for it. Those people have the wrath of God abiding upon them. Yeah, you, I want to be a missionary. <laughs> yeah, do you? Because you're not going to have the comfort that we have here. Missionaries, and by the way, when you go out and witness to the lost, you're on a mission. You're a missionary in your Jerusalem, in your Judah, in your town. And if you're not going to tell someone that the wrath of God is abiding on them here, you are not going to buy a ticket from Delta, fly across the Pacific, and then all of a sudden have a revelation and a burning from God to want to tell somebody else about it. The greatest missionaries are the ones that are doing it now. In their little Jerusalem. And then when they get sent out. They're going to keep doing what they've always been doing. Telling people about. The saving grace found in Jesus. Two more. Then we're done. Unless you want more. You want 20 more verses. John chapter 5. Verse number 24. John 5 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Here's the contrast again. What's the contrast? Look at the verse with me. We see the key word, believeth. And it's contrasted between everlasting life and then condemnation. You must believe. You must believe. Isn't believing a work? No. You're believing. But if God doesn't have grace to save you, you drop into hell. By his grace, he saves you. 
He's given you life, light. He's sent you a gospel witness. But you don't save yourself on the decision that you make. Remember we talked about, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, right? I will, you would not. And God says, I will, will you. And when you come in, he receives you and saves you by his grace. If you say, I believe, and God turns his back, you drop into hell. But that's not the character of God. He wants to receive you, and he's willing to do that. Last one, chapter 6, verse number 29. Last one. Guess what the key word is going to be? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him who he hath sent. You must believe on him and in him. This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. We got all those verses in John. John 20, 31. John 1, 7. John 1, 12. John 3, 15 through 18, John 3, 36, John 5, 24, and John 6, 29. I hope we had a good look at that believe keyword in the book of John. But all of these little subsections, we did four of them, Romans and 1 John, and we did some 1 Corinthians and then the book of John, all draw out that the lost person needs to know that they are a sinner and because of their sin, they're under condemnation. And they're just going to die as a sinner. And the gospel is that Jesus paid their sin. He paid it all. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.